sisters, come together now, come together now. It's time to help each other out, help each other out. Welcome to the Sword Podcast. This is a platform for sisters to gather and have some empowering conversations. And in the process of these conversations, we help each other overcome some limiting beliefs. I want you to join the conversation. I appreciate your likes, subscribes, and comments. This podcast is sponsored by Stephanie Brown Coaching. If you have any limiting beliefs that are holding you back, feel free to contact the coach at sociatap.com forward slash Steph Brown MD. Okay, I'm going to share a little coaching secret with you. One of the ways that we can overcome our limiting beliefs is by revising our thoughts. With the source saying, we get to choose a new thought that expands us and helps us to rise. I don't know about you, but I can use all of the affirmation that I can get. With so much negativity in the world, I bet you can too. The source saying is, I am accepting myself unconditionally no matter what. And our next guest, who is a superwoman. My special guest today is Dr. Shoshana Kindred. She's a woman who you need to get to know if you don't know her already. This wife and mother is a board-certified dermatologist born in Oakland, California, and raised in South Central Los Angeles. She's the owner of Kindred Hair and Skin Center in Columbia, Maryland, where she not only is a practicing dermatologist, but also has a hair salon in her practice as well as estheticians. Her patients are able to get all of their hair and skin needs met in one place. How cool is that? She is the chair of the dermatology section at the National Medical Association and serves as an associate professor at Howard University. Dr. Kindred is also the founder and president of Onyx Medical Society and a leader of the health committee of the African American Roundtable of Howard County. Dr. Kindred, as I mentioned, is a board-certified dermatologist, a published research author, and national speaker who treats people of all ages and ethnicities. In addition, she has a niche in hair loss and ethnic skin. This passion was garnered during her residency at Howard University, the institution that pioneered ethnic dermatology. Dr. Kindred began her studies at the University of Southern California, where she received her Bachelor's of Science with a minor in Spanish. Then she relocated to Ohio, earning not just her medical degree, but also an MBA at the University of Cincinnati. Dr. Kindred was awarded a full scholarship as a Yates Fellow for the MBA program. She was the third person in the history of the University of Cincinnati to complete the MD-MBA program. She is a sought-after dermatologist in the DMV area and remains on the cutting edge of hair loss treatment. And we are so excited that she's taking the time out to share her vast knowledge with us. Welcome to SOAR, Dr. Kindred. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for having me. Yes, it is so good to connect with you. I really miss the time we used to spend with the healthcare ministry at church. And so much has happened since then. The kids have gotten older, mm-hmm. your employee practice and started your own practice. Yes. So much has happened. A so, lot. A lot. Exactly. So this is a great chance for us to get caught up. So what's been going on? And just tell my audience a little bit about your story. 
Excellent. So again, thank you for the invitation. I am Shoshana Kindred, a board certified dermatologist. In regards to my story, I am from Los Angeles, California. Grew up in South Central, went to USC, the real USC, University of Southern California for undergrad. Then moved to the Midwest. University of Cincinnati for my MD and MBA, the combined program, and then trained in dermatology residency at Howard University. As soon as I graduated, uh, I worked for a large health system in Maryland, particularly the Baltimore area where I was their main dermatologist. And then after about five years to really, really be more flexible and had the opportunity to offer very cutting-edge treatments, I opened up my own practice, which is the first and so far only dermatology practice with a full-service hair salon within the office. Okay. See, I didn't even know that you had a full-service hair, hair salon. And the name of your practice is the Kindred Hair and Skin Center. So it kind of it kind of makes sense that you call it a center since you're doing more than just uh, dermatology. Yes, and there's a very natural relationship between dermatologists and hairstylists. It's just for decades we were teammates who didn't talk to each other, mm-hmm. and now we're trying to bridge that gap. And it's just a wonderful service to patients that we have a natural hairstylist on board in-house mm-hmm. that's teaming up with me to help with our hair loss patients. We also have a natural nail tech who helps the patients with our skin issues. And we have a esthetician. I mean, nail tech for nail issues and an esthetician with skin. So there's these natural partnerships that since I own and run the, the center, I can bring whoever it is that I think is beneficial for my patients. Wow. That's wonderful. It's such a unique concept. I have not heard of that before. And like you said, you're natural partners. So why not collaborate with one another? Yes, yes, yes. So the title of our talk today is Our Hair is Great, Busting Myths with Dr. Kindred. Now, there's so many things that I wanted to talk to you about, skin, hair, just everything. But I had to narrow it down because we only had a limited amount of time. And it was inspired a little bit by the title of your book. And the title of your book is Derma Myth, Breaking the Cycle of Skincare Myths. Mm-hmm. So, Even though the book focuses on skincare, when I read it, I was pleased to see that there's a lot of great information about hair as well. So I would love for you to share a little bit about the book. What was your purpose in writing it? And if you could give us a little bit of an insider's view of how you wrote it, how you got it published, sort of like a behind the scenes. Yes. So for the first half, how the book came about, those are literally posts from Instagram. Within six months of opening my practice, I felt a little bit frustrated that patients were still buying biotin, which does not work for hair loss, and lotions and potions that promise everything under the sun that was not helping or making their condition worse. The very, 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 very first Online is Derm Myth Monday. 
But Dermeth Monday doesn't work for a book, right? So we had to change the name for the book. But the very first Dermeth Monday was about biotin. And even though it says hair, skin, and nails, that's one of the greatest myths out there. And I always say, I need to find who is the publicist for biotin. Because they are very efficient. (laughs) It will not go away. So I did that post and I made it every Monday. I had a millennial at the time. She's actually a mentee, Micah, who was my medical assistant. And she was heavily into social media and helping other pre-med students get into medical school. Mm -hmm. So she helped me when I came up with the idea. She helped me to hone it and, and make it just a real thing. I can't post two or three times a day. Right. That's what they say you're supposed to do. Please, no, I do not have time for that. So I was like, look, I can post once a week. And right. kid you not, when I would run out of an idea, Dr. Brown, a patient would come in with a whole other myth. I was like, oh, I'm posting <laughs> that next Monday. So actually, a, a fellow member of our church at Celebration Church approached me and said, you know, you can make this a book. And I really thought, no one's going to read the book. It's on Instagram. And she said, no one's going to go back and look at all your Instagram posts. Right. <laughs> so, and she, so it was like a coach. She happens to go to my per, my church for your audience members. You literally can find, they're called self-publishing coaches. You can find them on Upworks, Upworks.com, a wonderful platform to find freelancers. And they will walk you through the process. Your job is really to have the content. So I had the content already. But they walk you through the self-publishing process. A lot of times you'll know some of the best graphic designers. They know how to put all the pieces of the puzzle together for you to be able to publish it. And another little piece is Amazon really wants your prices to be incredibly low. And you know, the higher your price, the more greater of a cut they take. Mm-hmm. So um, my book is still available on Amazon. Anyone can get it. It's very convenient. But for the book to be signed, that's from Dermamyth.com, which is the title of the book.com. And I make sure to sign and write a personal note every time it goes through that site. I just don't lay my hands on it when it comes through Amazon. Yes, yes. I have my personal note in my book, so I can attend to that. So for us women of color, it feels like there's so much. And when I when I say so much, it's just like so much energy, so much time, so much money, so many myths, just so much surrounding our hair, which is why I wanted to talk to you about that. Do you think that there are more myths around hair and skin for women of color than for non-women of color? Okay, so just to make a definition, um, in dermatology, women of color is just like non-whites. I think there's actually more myths around the hair of blacks Mm -hmm. than straight or smooth hair. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, until Dr. John Kenny Jr. started the dermatology program at Howard, you really didn't have dermatologists trained to treat black hair, skin, and nails. Mm-hmm. And the few whites that did weren't trained or they refused to treat blacks. Now, this is obviously decades ago. Until then, though, hairstylists were the hair experts for our community, mm-hmm. right? Which is a little bit unfair to them because they're not given as robust of a scientific background, right? They don't have medical training, 
and it was put on their shoulders to be the hair expert for our community. And out of that, it was trial and error. And when something improves, certain things improve on their own, right? Mm-hmm. And whatever the person was using at that time, it gets the credit for improvement. And that's how you get myths about everything under the sun. So the lack of access to the hair experts is, I think, the reason why Black women in particular have a ton more myths than other cultures, even other women of color. Mm. I really appreciate you breaking that down because I, I I felt like it was a black woman thing that was even more than other women of color. But you being the expert, I wanted to kind of give you the broad brush. So I appreciate yeah. uh-huh. you uh, explaining that. So you already talked about biotin, and I will admit that I think some physicians are culprits in that. Physicians even think that biotin helps hair. Obviously not dermatologists, but other doctors. But if there was another myth, just one myth that you could bust about hair that you want to see disappear forever, just be buried, what would that be? Amen. All right. (laughs) There are... There's a group of hairstylists who get extra training and they're called trichologists. Mm-hmm. That seems to be one of the largest group. Now, not all of them are doing this, but when I see what's the common denominator of people doing what I'm about to say, it tends to be a particular sect of trichologists. And they're saying that, quote, injections don't work for CCCA. It's just a band-aid. Now, let me break that down a little bit. CCCA is central centrifugal cicatricial alopecia. It is the number one form of hair loss in blacks. So if we look at all 15 causes, there are more black women suffering from CCCA than all of the other forms of hair loss combined. So it's an absolute epidemic. And it's caused by a gene that ultimately leads to inflammation flooding the scalp. So what that means is if we need to stop the destruction of the hair loss, we have to neutralize the inflammation and giving you a cream on the surface just isn't going to cut it. So use injections to go deeper and we need to create this protective cocoon around the follicles, neutralizing the inflammation so we can stop the damage. What's causing more harm is essentially a patient stylist with really the sect of trichologists convincing the patient that the injections aren't going to solve it, but that the trichologists, whatever she has at her disposal, will. If anything, it's usually the injections alone isn't going to cut it and we have to add more to it because CCCA reserves the right to act a daggone fool sometimes. And sometimes if we see you're not improving, we have to step up our game and we have to recognize, and I know this from the stylist in my office who's taking care of my very own patients. My stylist and all stylists will get more information out of our patients than we ever will, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's more time with them. Yes. It feels like a safer environment mm-hmm. to the patient. The patients are relaxed, right? They're getting a nice, great service. It's not sterile looking. Yeah. And they have just a, a sacred trust between the hairstylist and the patient. And what comes out of the mouth of the hairstylist makes a huge difference in how compliant or how much a patient sticks with 
their treatment regimen. So I, what I would wish we buried is um, the lack of understanding of the exact pathophysiology of exactly the chain reaction between the gene associated with CCCA and the actual form of hair loss. And since the gene is the root of the problem, Please know I have no intentions of doing gene modifications on my patients, right? So that means the problem is always going to be present. I have to do everything short of mess with the gene. So that's why there's always something we have to do. So I wish that would just die because then when the patients finally realize, like, hold on, I'm actually getting worse. I'm seeing patients a year or two years later who went the route of this particular group of trichologists and had they come straight to me. And we've lost tons more follicles, mm. right? So there's follicles that are just dead and destroyed. And I haven't, there's, if there's no follicle, there's no root. There's no root, there's no plant. Yeah. And I hate seeing a patient who delays medical intervention for a medical condition because a trusted source yeah. caused them to do so. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. You said it's the most common form of hair loss for black women and it's mm -hmm. it's genetic. So is the gene it is it in African women as well? It, it, yes. It, so assuming that your public is intelligent, but lay, I'll break it down a little bit. So um it's autosomal dominant means it hits every single generation. And genes are like blueprints, right? Or a code to a protein. This gene encodes an enzyme. And enzymes are just proteins that make reactions happen better or faster. This enzyme is responsible for folding and shaping the proteins that make the hair. So when there's a defect in this gene, there's a defect in the enzyme. This defective enzyme doesn't fold those proteins correctly, which in turn don't form the hair correctly. And then you end up with a bad product. And as far as your body is concerned, your immune system is doing the right thing and destroying a bad product. Right. What happens is when we use relaxers, particularly the type that we as African-Americans use, it really turns this gene on. It really worsens stuff. So I think that's the reason there's a greater connection. Wow. That is good to know. I'm so glad that we've gotten away from that. Yes. The first part of our topic is our hair is not just good hair, but great hair. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to embrace just that affirmation that our hair is great hair. So can you just tell me in your own words what that means to you? Yes, indeed. What that means to me is that we now recognize just how awesome our hair is. Mm -hmm. We have to realize that we are getting out of an era of, of basically just systemic racism. So when we've been doing our hair for millennia, right? Mm -hmm. We've been doing our natural hair for thousands of years. And now we don't know how to do our own natural hair, right? We literally had to make our hair like theirs mm -hmm. and then we know how to do it. And it was unlearned, right? And obviously it was because the generation before us needed straight hair to get a job. Obviously, there's exceptions. That's generally the case. And the generations before them had to cover up their hair. Thank God we were able to keep the tradition of braids and twists, right? That was probably close to being lost. Yeah. So, got so far away from knowing how to do our own hair that we believed that their hair was better. 
Mm-hmm. I, to the point where we created a whole disease. We created traction alopecia, right? Losing our edges from trying to be so obsessed with neat edges. So when we say our hair is great hair, that's us realize it's been great all along. We yeah. just lost that skill of how to do our own natural hair without first turning it into their hair to do it. Yeah, that is so true. One of the things that I have been patiently waiting to ask you about is what is the deal with rice water? Okay. Oh, honey, child. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but I um, have been, go- you know, reading, you know, I have natural hair. So I've been reading all of these things about natural hair and some of the, you know, experts, they're probably trichologists. And they are swearing by rice water. So just uh, I'd love to hear your, your take on that and where, and where that even came from. So let's say rice water worked, right? And it did make hair grow. So what? That is arsenic, right? So please, everyone, just Google how to remove arsenic from rice water. And it doesn't matter if your rice is organic or not. Arsenic is naturally found in rice. Doesn't matter if it's brown or white, it's naturally found in rice. And the way you remove it is by soaking it in water overnight. Then you throw away the water that the rice was soaking in overnight. But instead, people are now pouring it directly on their skin and hair. And so even if it did work, like I care, I want your hair to grow, but I care about our overall wellness too. So I'm not a fan of rice water. Now it is a traditional, I believe Japanese culture. And I never want to take away anything from a culture. Mm-hmm. So then it makes me say, if this is not your culture, <laughs> please don't intentionally put arsenic on your hair or skin, whether it makes hair grow or not. And it's actually unethical mm. for us to do a study taking arsenic-laid water on patients versus placebo to see if hair hair grows. Right, right. So we have no idea uh, whether or not it works. But even if it did work, it's poisonous. So you know, well, I Almost everyone has tried it by the time they come into my office. Really? And not a single one has said, oh, I'm fine at the Kendra because I started using rice water. Mm. Not a single one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know... They claim that you will have hair past your waist if you. By use- Saturday night. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's just it's time for your so night convincing. out. It's so, the thing is, they're so convincing and they're going to be so much more convincing than I ever. They're going to be more charming than I ever will. Mm-hmm. They're going to be, right, more charismatic than I ever will. And part of the reason why I wrote the book to try to put more facts and evidence-based medicine because we deserve that too. Absolutely. So I do understand that, you know, rice water is not the way to go, but why is it that it seems like so many black women have a hard time growing their hair long to, you know, whereas other women seem to be able to grow their hair long, they cut it, they grow it long again. And I'm including myself in this question. Well, what are your thoughts on that? So there's a couple of things. The length of your hair is set by genetics. So when your hair is in the growth phase, it grows and then it goes into a resting phase and stop. Then it sheds and the process happens all over the time, all over again. How long the growth phase is 
determines how long your hair will be. That is set by your DNA. And even if we do have long hair, our follicle is curved. So it's curly and curlier hair. It takes longer for curly hair to grow for us to really recognize the length. We all just think back to when your hair is washed, it's length. And then when you blow dry it or straighten it, it's length. Except imagine if it always grew straight. The same thing is happening in a follicle. So one is genetics. Two is that is curly. Three is we do a lot more to our hair that causes breakage. So we're taking two steps forward and one step back. So those would be the three reasons. Um, And it's kind of like if you watch TV, we tend to pay more attention to, for example, the really fit, healthy person versus the overweight person on the show. We pay a bit more attention to the person with long hair, if we want long hair, than the one with short hair. So believe it or not, there are tons of people with short hair that absolutely won't grow past a particular length. We just assume that maybe they cut it because we pay more attention to say Caucasians or Latinx, whatever, with long hair. That is great information. So there are three reasons. I love that. I can remember all three of those. <laughs> so we, as we're talking about hair growth, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in terms of alopecia, and you talked about one form of alopecia. Can you give us a basic definition of what alopecia is? And I, I know there's different, uh, different forms, but what are some of the common causes and what are some of the treatments? So alopecia is a symptom and it just means hair loss. So if you ever go to anyone and they tell you your diagnosis is alopecia, that's not the case. Because as soon as you walked in and said you had hair loss, you told them you had alopecia. There's 15 different types. The most common one in blacks is, as I mentioned, CCCA. Central, because it starts in the center of the scalp. Centrifugal, it starts small and it spreads outward. Cicatricial because the inflammation leads to permanent scarring. And then alopecia just means hair loss, CCCA, number one form. The second most common is androgenetic alopecia, also called female pattern alopecia, also called male pattern alopecia. So in my office, everybody gets a biopsy, especially every black woman gets a biopsy because what we're not going to do is look at you, see black woman, see hair loss and assume it's CCCA. If you were gambling, I would be right if I just did that. But this is not about being right 90 to 95% of the time. This is about being 100% correct for that patient that walks in my office. And we sometimes need a biopsy to tell if it's CCCA or female pattern hair loss, or more importantly, both. And there are a lot of us walking around with two and three different forms of hair loss, which brings us to the third form. And that's the 100% preventable form, which is traction alopecia. And that's from putting our hair in the same direction, ponytails, braids, weaves, headbands, etc. Basically where we rip the hair out. And the treatments vary based on the diagnosis. What I want to caution people is to not run out and grab Rogaine or Minoxidil or Karenique or Nioxin without first knowing your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Once you start Minoxidil, you really are locked in. 
I treat a ton of patients that started minoxidil and then stopped. And now we are worse off than when you started. Oh, no. Yeah. Now, five, 10 years ago, I would be convincing you to start minoxidil because that's all we had. Right. Now there are so many amazing cutting edge treatments for hair loss that we have options now. We have (laughs) options. And I promise to stay cutting edge. There's things I do that no one in probably a 50 mile radius is doing for hair loss. And definitely not the number of different things we do for hair loss. So just be cautious before jumping straight to minoxidil. Okay. Ooh, that's exciting. Uh, I want to hear about some of these cutting edge things that you do for hair loss. Do you want to tell us some more? Absolutely. Absolutely. So our old quote unquote old cutting edge um, procedure, because some people still consider it cutting edge, is platelet-rich plasma. A lot of fields of medicine are using PRP. So what that is, is there's chemicals in the body just grow stuff, fix stuff, repair stuff, mm-hmm. right? And those are the growth factors. You and I had to memorize them for no reason in med school now, but now I'm actually using it 20 years later. And what we do is we draw the blood, we take out just two vials, and we can get a couple of million platelets. See, platelets not only form the scab, so you don't bleed to death, but it releases chemicals that trigger the healing process, and that's why you don't need your scabs for the rest of your life. Those chemicals are the growth factors, and it turns out some of those same growth factors that trigger wound healing repair damaged follicles. So we take your platelets and we inject it into the scalp. We combine it with calcium so the platelets will release the growth factors and we combine it with a network so that the platelets will stay in your scalp, releasing those growth factors for a full seven days opposed to being washed out with your circulation within an hour. Mm-hmm. So that's PRP. Technically, the type we, call, we do is called PRFM, platelet-rich fiber matrix. The second newer thing that we do is where we take a device that kind of suctions gunk out of the pores. We did it for the face for enlarged pores, clogged pores. Um, And when we do it for the scalp, I mean, we're removing hair grease and leave-in conditioners and dead skin and oil and yeast. And then I have a nice clean follicle. Yeah. We squirt in growth factors. The third newest thing um, is where we use lasers with growth factors. So I actually hardly do PRP anymore because technology has advanced. Now those growth factors can be made in a lab. And the ones in a lab include not only growth factors in your platelets, but it includes all the growth factors that help with hair loss. And then what we get from the lab is 1500 times more potent than what I can get out of your blood. So now we have the growth factors from the lab. We run a laser over the scalp that creates microscopic channels. So that way, instead of locking everything out, which is your skin's job, it acts like a sponge and absorbs anything in. And right then and there, we massage in the growth factors from the lab. That is so cool. (laughs) And the most newest thing is, this is the last one that we offer. Um, Because it's not cookie cutter. So we kind of offer everything. The last thing we offer is actually exosomes or stem cell technology. Now, stem cell technology for hair came out a few years ago. And I skipped right over it. 
And the reason why I ignored it is stem cells contain DNA and I was not going to inject DNA into my patients. Like, yes, I want your hair to grow, but I care about your overall wellness too. Technology advanced such that they recognize that a stem cell, if it's like an apple seed to a tree where it could turn into a tree, it's not like the apple seed morphed into a tree. It released proteins or construction workers, if you will, into its environment that then built the tree. The stem cells okay. release proteins into its environment that builds whatever it is it's supposed to. And those construction workers are exosomes. So we do exosome technology for our patients. And then finally, just hair transplantation. Nice. That was that was really exciting. Thank you for sharing that. The, the scientist geek in me was just... <laughs> I'm in good company then. So one of the other things I wanted to ask you as we're talking about hair and hair loss, I know in your book, you say that weaves are not a protective style. And that's one of the myths that we all believe that, or a lot of us believe that if you have a weave, you're protecting your hair. So my question is, I was just talking to a young lady. I interviewed her uh, last week and she started making wigs for one of her family members who had cancer and lost her hair. And now she has a business called You're Beautiful Regardless because she saw a need for women to feel beautiful when they didn't have any hair. So what are your thoughts about wigs? The key that we found is the, uh, what would you call it? The netting or the cap on the inside needs to not cause friction. Mm-hmm. And so there are quality. Uh, why am I not? I'm blanking. Is it the netting? The part that's on the, the, the hair is attached to is what I'm referring to that actually mm-hmm. touches your hair. Um, that's one thing that's important. Secondly, we have to protect the edges, right? Because we don't want the wigs to fly off from the wind. And because of that pressure, sometimes it rubs the edges off. So we just require that our hair loss patients or recommend that our hair loss patients use a wig grip underneath. That's usually a velvet kind of thick, almost headband mm-hmm. that sits right under the edge of the wig cap. Wig cap is what I was thinking of. Or just simply purchase a silk wig cap to go underneath the wig. And then you're good. And then that's fine. Just make sure, you know, take the wig off rather soon so that we're taking the pressure off the edges when you, you know, get home or what have you. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. We got some options here. Now, when we talk about hair, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the underlying limiting beliefs that sometimes cause us to do harmful things to our hair and and to our skin. Uh, So sometimes it's things that we believe about what we need to look like or what our hair needs to look like will kind of push us to the edge of using the rice water or or doing a relaxer. So what are some of the limiting beliefs? And I call those limiting beliefs that you encounter with your patients of color or black women around their skin and hair. Um, One of the biggest things I encounter is, you know, it's around hair and what's considered professional or not professional. Mm. Now, whether it's because that's truly a part of the dress code or professional code or whether it's something that's self-imposed, I think 
we have a little bit of a long ways to go, right? Like the Crown Act isn't even passed in all 50 states. Right, right. To help with that, I kind of feel like those of us, women that are in positions of power, almost have a responsibility to wear our hair natural mm-hmm. so that from the inside, we are defining what's considered professional or not. The other thing that we get is the thought that longer is better, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We almost have an obsession with length. Yep. And it's almost it's a lot of times to our detriment. So we straighten it, which you know it does make it does make the hair longer. Um, but we do it with a relaxer. And the problem with the relaxer is we are every time we research it, we're learning more and more about just how unhealthy mm-hmm. it is. So a lot of people by now have heard of phthalates, P-H-T-H, yeah. L-A-T-E-S. And we are finding phthalates in the urine of black women. Wow. And the levels in the urine of black women are higher than that of white women. Mm. And just to hopefully I'm not overstating the obvious for it to be in your urine means it went through your kidneys to get to your kidneys means it was in your blood to get your blood. It means it was absorbed. Mm. Right. And, and that is not something we want running throughout our system because it behaves like a hormone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we're highly suspicious that that might be one of the things linked to fibroids, to mm-hmm. breast cancer, mm-hmm. to infertility, right? These are all things I'm listing where we carry the burden of. Breast cancer used to be much higher incidence in white women and blacks, and we've now matched them. And it, we don't seem to be slowing down. So the relaxers, I think, are if we can... I should have listed that as our myths that we need relaxers. The one that I want to just die. We just have to be continue to eliminate that as something we think we have to have that our edges have to be straight. Yeah. Well, we will just declare that 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 is a limiting belief that we're going to get rid of. Our edges do not have to be straight. That's <laughs> and- the best that need edges. Yes. Edges can be nice and curly. It's it's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like what you said about women in positions of power setting the example because we all know that when we can see it, we know we can be it. So if even with our little girls and our teens, if they're seeing us with our hair natural, then they know that it's okay. You can still be professional and wear natural hair. So I love that because that's something actionable that we can all do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, with you being a physician and a successful business owner and very active and well-respected in the community, one of the things that really helps in these empowering conversations is to understand that we all have limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the limiting beliefs that you have had to overcome in your life or um, starting this business or being in the field that you're in? So, oh, you know, I believe like if you pray about it, it will work out. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I come in these forks in the roads, I tend to just have this one prayer and I ask God to make the right choice blatantly obvious. Right. Like just make it blatantly 
obvious which direction I'm supposed supposed to go in. And I know some people ask for wisdom and things like that, but sometimes I'm not sure how wise I am. Just make it obvious and clear cut exactly what I'm supposed to do. So I had recognized that I really should have about four years after graduating, I realized I really should open up my practice. Right. And I didn't, I was scared because we're not trained or taught or guided on how to open our practices. And so we tend to be employed and sometimes our employers are put the bottom line of making money ahead of the bottom line of making patients better. Right. And we find ourselves grappling with that. And I just was too scared to step out there. I felt like my kids are small. I have a toddler. You know, I won't make as much money or, um, oh, oh, I have more quote unquote security being employed by a large health system. And then I said their prayer. God, just think it blatantly obvious. I'm supposed to open practice or not. Lo and behold, if something didn't go down, right? Something went down yeah. on a Monday. I was like, God, okay, that's enough. I put in my resignation on a Thursday. I'm not lying. Yo, wow. Blessings ever since now. It's not it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's definitely I could do more for my patients. Oh, I had young kids. When they got sick, I didn't have to take off of work. Yeah. We brought that mattress right into my office. And they stay home from school, lay down on that mattress on the floor. And I was able to actually do, actually have more flexibility having small kids in my own practice than when I was employed. That was my lesson. That's beautiful. Uh, I, I can definitely resonate with what you're saying. And I know so many other people can because it's natural to have that fear. But like you said, God had put it in your spirit and you knew and then it just, and sometimes I think God just has to push us. Sometimes we have to get uncomfortable enough that we're ready oh, to jump. I know exactly. that's my testimony. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uncomfortable enough that I'm just ready to jump because I tend yeah. to be so hard-headed sometimes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we get yeah. comfortable too, don't we? Exactly. We mm-hmm. definitely get comfortable. But look at all that you've been able to, to build and look at how you've been able to bless your patients and the community. So, so that's you. wonderful. Thank you. So I wanted to just give you an opportunity to share if there's anything that I didn't touch on that you would just love to share with my audience. This is your opportunity to do that. Thank you. Thank you. So I believe collectively, and this is whether you're in medicine or not, figure out the solution to the lack of black men in medical school. So why do I mention that? Who has the highest mortality rate? Black men, right? And who is less likely to make it into medical school to be the physicians to help black men? And that's black men, right? And they're falling through the pipelines all along the way, starting in elementary school. Definitely, they don't have like a GT or algebra math course by junior high definitely if they don't have a prep course for SATs definitely if somebody didn't whisper in their ear in college like oh you don't need to be a a physician you could just go this other route right and they're just dropping at every every post along the way 
And we know for sure that if there's a race concordance and a sex concordance, meaning if you're seeing, for black men especially, but in general, if you're seeing someone of your same race and same sex, your outcomes are better. Mm-hmm. That's one of the solutions we have to do. And it's just something we have to talk about on a regular basis and come up with solutions. So I know I could have mentioned something about myself or the book or my social media handle or whatever, but um, that's a huge problem that we have to, and it's one that takes a long game to solve. Absolutely. Right. So we have to start planting these seeds now so that we'll get to a solution sooner. Thanks for conquering those limiting beliefs on another episode of the SOAR podcast. If you want to reach out to my guest, just check out the show notes and all of the contact information is there. If you want more information about Stephanie Brown coaching, go to www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And I'm sure you're already following the SOAR podcast Instagram page. But if not, just go to IG and type in Sisters Overcoming and Rising, all one word. Goodbye for now. Thank you.